what I'm talking about today is not so much ancient history, but maybe to some of the people here, I'm going to go back to the 70s and 80s. <laughs> and that might be ancient history to some people. <laughs> You're so funny. Your mind works like that. that. You have to bring in the historical context, you know. <laughs> That's right. It's so funny. So, yeah, so I am very honored with all these wonderful healers that we have here today to just also honor some of the people who have come before us and done really culture changing research. So I'm going to share my screen. I do have a PowerPoint here. Okay, so I have my screen set up. And we're here at uh, Portal to Ascensions, Energy Healing, Metaphysics, and Spirituality Conference. And I'm going to be talking about the power of the mind to heal. In this presentation, I will share examples of pioneering scientific research that demonstrates the mind's ability to both affect matter and promote healing. So we are going to go back kind of ancient uh, right at the very beginning, and then we'll bring it up to the 70s and 80s, because I want to go back to hermetic wisdom and really honor that so much that we understand today is kind of grounded in some of this ancient, ancient wisdom. In ancient times, there was a great teacher known as Hermes Trimuscius, if I pronounce that correctly. And um, he was well known at the time, so ancient that it's not clear exactly who he was or where he came from. But over the centuries and across many lands, a collection of hermetic principles was passed down verbally from teacher to student. And then in 1908, a book entitled The Kabbalion was published by the Yogi Publication Society in Chicago, Illinois. The anonymous authors called themselves- so For some reason, we can't hear you. I hear oh. her. Yeah, I hear you, Kathleen. No, it's okay. me. Okay, I should just continue then? Yeah, continue, keep going. It's me, sweetheart, sorry. Okay, that's okay, Joan. Very good. Okay, so the anonymous authors called themselves the three initiates and provided explanations and commentary on these hermetic principles. Listed in the Kabbalion are seven hermetic principles, but for this presentation, we're just concentrating on the very first hermetic principle, which is the principle of mentalism. This principle is foundational to the understanding of the hermetic view of the nature of reality. In the Kabbalion, it states, the all is infinite living mind. And it also states the universe and all it contains is a mental creation of the all. Verily, indeed, all is mind. The Kabayan also states true hermetic transmutation is a mental art. So hermet hermeticists teach that the great work of influencing the physical world is accomplished by mental power. So for all the healers here today, we know that focused thought, prayer, and visualization 
which are all forms of a type of mental energy, can affect matter, which is, in its essence, mind, just at a lower rate of vibration. This is what the Hermeticists teach us, that it's all mind and that it's all at different levels of vibration. So by using our focused thought, prayer, and visualization, we can affect matter, which is in effect mind as well, but just at a lower rate of vibration. Now, this is important. We're not saying mind like the thinking, logical, rational, linear type of mind that our human personality uses. They say mind in the Kabbalion and in Hermetic teachings. But today, I think a better term would be consciousness. So if we can replace when the Kabbalion and Hermetic teachings talk about mind to consciousness, I think we get a better grasp of what they're saying. This is more of an all-pervasive knowing, a knowing that every creature and actually everything has access to. As a matter of fact, every creature and everything is composed of this consciousness because this consciousness is essentially what we can think of as God or God's consciousness, which is the all according to the hermetic teachings. So we can say everything everywhere is God. There is nothing else but God. And because God's consciousness makes up everything, everyone and everything is conscious and intelligent in its own way. Not everything speaks English, although we can get telepathic communication with things that don't speak English, which is interesting. So we can speak or communicate with even objects because everything and everyone has this consciousness as their makeup. Examples of pioneering scientific research that demonstrate the ability of the mind's ability to both affect matter and promote healing is the subject, really, of my talk today. But we're going to see that, again, it's not necessarily the mind or the thinking mind, the rational linear mind here. We're really more talking about consciousness. And we're also going to bring in the idea of resonance, being one with the other. Because as the Hermeticists teach us, essentially, we are all part of the all. We are God. There is nothing else to be but that. And so even this early research showed us the importance of this unity. First, we're going to look at pioneers in the mind's ability to affect matter. And we're going to start out, like I said, back in the 70s, 1979, when the Pear Lab began. The Pear Lab is the Princeton Engineering Anomalies Research Lab. 
It lasted from 1979 to uh, 2007, and it studied the effect of consciousness in the physical world. The Pear Lab was founded by Professor Robert G. John, who was the Dean of the School of Engineering and Applied Science at Princeton University. And it was managed by Brenda Dunn, a developmental psychologist. The lab had a full-time staff of six scientists, as well as numerous interns and visiting researchers. This lab and Robert John was so important in my own development. Uh, some people here know that my story is I went and got my master's degree in counseling at the University of Notre Dame in the 1980s. And that's when I fully realized that I was psychic. I knew things about my clients that I didn't know how I knew. And so instead of going the traditional route, I started exploring anything I could about metaphysics and spirituality. And I went to a lecture in the early 1980s that Robert John gave about what he was doing at the Pear Lab. And I was so thankful to hear about his research, because I love education, as you can tell. And to know that Princeton University was studying this topic, and they were getting fascinating, excellent results, which I'm going to describe to you. It just really made me more confident to pursue this on my own and explore all these other things, knowing that there was some good research that was being done right there at Princeton. So one of the things that Princeton investigated, the Pear Lab investigated, and by the way, not Princeton, the Pear Lab, which was housed in Princeton. There was a lot of Princeton people that didn't like what was going on and gave these folks a hard time, as you might imagine, actually, but they kept it up. And so the Pear Lab investigated the interaction of human consciousness with physical devices such as the output of random event generators, which are also known as REGs. The REG can be thought of as a high-speed electronic coin flipper that produces a series of highs and lows, and that is relative to the mean, randomly and unpredictably, with high and low outcomes each occurring 50% of the time. So you can think of this, here's a uh, image of one of the uh, random event generators that was at the Pear Lab. And you can think of it as saying, okay, high, low, 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 high, 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 low, low. And it's so random that if you average it out over time, you get, you get like a zero. Okay, so you get high, 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 low, 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 high, low, high, low, high, 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 low, 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 low. And over time, you get a baseline of zero, that nothing's high, nothing's low as the mean, let's say, okay, the average of everything over time. Now, this random event generator that you see here in the image was actually built by the Princeton Lab, which is great because they were housed in the engineering department. So they had all of these people that could help them literally build 
devices that would be true random event generators. And they tested these things, you know, were they influenced by humidity? Were they influenced by temperature or by the shaking of a table or the shaking of the air conditioning, let's say? And if they were, they scrapped it and started again. So they could make these devices that they calibrated, they call it, they calibrated to make sure that if anything was not random, it wasn't anything that they could think of that would be an influence. It had to be something else. And it turns out that something else was human consciousness and intent. By the way, I can also mention one of the other things that the Pair Lab looked at was something we know today as remote viewing. They called it remote perception. I'm not going to talk about that today, but that's another whole fascinating topic. So again, looking back at this research with these REGs. The pair lab found that the research study participants could shift the REG output in the direction of their intention. Even though the REG was built to avoid the influence of normal physical factors, as I mentioned, as like temperature fluctuations, vibrations, electromagnetic waves, when the participants wanted the REG to produce more highs, it did. When they intended the REG to produce more lows, it did. The overall experimental data provided highly statistically significant evidence that the effects being observed were not simply a chance occurrence, even though the results could not be explained by contemporary physics. So here's a graph of the data. And you can see that the middle there is baseline data. And I'll explain this a little bit more in this picture. So what you see here is these a graph, and it's called the random chart, random walk chart. And it's showing that human intention influences the physical world in highly significant ways. If you see the dotted lines, you see kind of like a curve, a dotted line on the top, then a dotted line through the middle, and a dotted line below. This is called, you might call it a parabolic envelope. I know this is statistical, so I'm going to try to make this easy. Basically, all of random events, high, low, high, low, 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 low high, high, that should all go along the, the horizontal plane there, the horizontal dotted line. But if you get so many high, 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 low, high, 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 low, high, high, you get so many highs, then you would, and you went above the higher dotted line, you would have confidence at the 95% confidence interview that what you're looking at is not chance. It is something that happened something happened to the random event generator that made that happen that's not random, okay? So you have 95% confidence this isn't chance if it goes above that higher dotted line and also 95% chance it's not random if it goes below the dotted line as well. So we'll just look at the top line here. You can see that there's uh, 
a blackened line that goes up and down, up and down. But in general, it keeps going up. It keeps going up. Well, think of you're flipping a coin and you keep getting heads, 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 tails, heads, 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 tail, heads, 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 heads. So that's what this is like. It's like it keeps getting high, 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 low, high, 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 and it keeps getting so many highs that it's not random anymore. Something's influencing it to get highs. And what is it that's influencing it? The person is working with the uh, random event generator at that time, and they're intending to have more highs. They're not touching anything. They're sitting quietly and it's their consciousness is interacting with the machine to produce more highs. This is the kind of research that the pair lab got over and over and over again. I mean, I think they did more hundreds of thousands of trials of all different kinds. I don't even know if it went to the millions, but definitely thousands and thousands and thousands of trials they did. And so overall, we can see that human consciousness is affecting the randomness of this machine. Then they built a lot of different uh, random type machines. Again, they were in an engineering lab. So they had access to all these engineering minds, these creative people that could construct things. And then they could test them to make sure they were truly random. And another really fun one is what they uh, called Murphy. And Murphy was a random mechanical cascade that you see in this image here. When in operation, 9,000 three-quarter inch diameter lightweight foam balls fell out of a funnel onto an array of 330 pegs that were evenly distributed. So what you see here are all these pegs. There are 330 pegs here, and they would drop a ball a light foam ball from this center point. And usually, if it's random, the ball would go left, right, left, right, left, left, right, right. And most of the balls would fall then to the center here. So it would go left, right, left, right, left, right, left, 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 right. And it would kind of fall here, left, right, left, right. And it would go here. Every once in a while, and it's normal for this to happen. A ball would go left and then hit another left and then hit another left and right and then hit another left. And it would fall over here. And again, it's normal that every once in a while, a ball would go right, left, right, 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 left, right, 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 right. And it would fall over here. But most of the balls would go left, right, left, right, left, left, right, right, left. And they would fall in the center. So what you get is this kind of curve. It's called a normal distribution. This is important for, pe important for people who understand statistics. It's called a normal distribution where most everything is in the center. And then you got some of the outliers that go out to the side. So as it says here, as the balls descended, they bounced in random paths downward through the array, colliding with the pegs and other balls. Ultimately, each ball ended up in one of the 19 collecting bins across the bottom. So there were 19 bins here. The result 
resulting distribution of the balls formed a bell curve or a normal distribution. The bell curve is symmetrical. Under normal conditions, half of the balls fall to the left of the center or the mean and half fall to the right. Now, in their experiments with this a random mechanical cascade that they called Murphy, the pair lab asked the participants to attempt to distort the distribution of the balls to either the right side or the left side of the center so that you'd get a bigger bulge over to the right or a bigger bulge over to the left, not the bulge in the center. The results were over and over again statistically significant that the participants could indeed influence the outcome of the ball distribution with their intention for wanting the balls to go either more to the right or more to the left. And this image here shows a person. She's not touching anything. She's merely looking at this cascade of balls and she's intending for the balls to go either more to the left or more to the right, depending on what they asked her to do. And this brings up another important point. It's not just the power of intention, which we can think of as like a mental activity. I want it. I want it. I want it. Something like that. Oh, I'm doing it. I'm doing it. I'm doing it. As a matter of fact, if you get into more of that tight energy, I want it. I want to do it. I want to. I'm intending. I'm intending. If you get tight the less likely is it won't really be that good for you. It's more important to put a new state, put your whole being in a different state of consciousness. This is the importance of resonance. Many of the participants in the pair labs experiments reported that they had moments of feeling a deep connection with Murphy or with the REG devices. In fact, participants with the most success tended to associate successful performance with the establishment of some form of bond or resonance with the device they were were working with. They imagined the device as a pet or as being alive, and they felt as though they had a relationship with it. These emotional moments of resonance were followed by a higher likelihood that their experimental results were in the direction they intended. In addition, if participants were doing well during the experiment, they sometimes suddenly felt they were going to lose their connection. And when that happened, and they did feel that their resonance faded, they would start to worry and doubt and then begin to do poorly. So this resonance, this state of consciousness where you feel a unity with the other, this is what is the most powerful. Yes, you're intending, but you're also getting in touch with the truth of it, that we're all one. And when you feel that connection to the other as yourself, you have more ability to influence it. In November of 2021, the equipment from the Paralab was moved to its new home at the Broughton Hall Estate in Yorkshire, England. And to celebrate this, Brenda Dunn was awarded an honorary PhD in Wisdom Studies from Ubiquity University. And sadly, last year, June 2022, Brenda passed away. Bob Dunn had passed away. Uh, Bob John, excuse me, Bob John had passed away some years prior. So now both of these 
uh, pioneers are no longer with us. But Roger Nelson is still going and he is part of the Pear Lab. He is now retired as well, but he did a really interesting, important component. He developed the Global Consciousness Project. He joined the Pear Lab in 1980 and he developed miniaturized random number generators for field experiments or experiments where you could do it outside the laboratory. In 1997, he created this worldwide network of random number generators that became known as the Global Consciousness Project. This project collects data from a global network of RNGs that are located in about 65 host sites around the world. The RNGs run continuously and their data is transmitted to a central archive which contains more than 25 years worth of data. This archive is basically a complete history of all the output of all the RNGs taken every second, day after day, year after year for 25 years. So the archive has data that corresponds to anything that has happened in the world on any date or any time since the project began. Random number generators, as I mentioned earlier, usually produce a completely unpredictable sequence of zeros and ones. But here's the thing, when a great event synchronizes the feelings of millions of people, the output of these machines, the random number generators, becomes subtly structured. That is, when human consciousness becomes coherent and synchronized, the output of the RNGs become less random and a clear pattern emerges. The probability of this happening to the RNG's data is one in a trillion that the effect is due to chance. For example, people all around the world watched the funeral ceremony for Princess Diana. This happened some years ago now. People were focused on that same event and shared deeply felt emotions at the same time. This coherence of human consciousness appeared to correlate with structure in the otherwise random data. So they looked at this random data and at the time of the funeral ceremony for Princess Diana, the data wasn't all over the place a clear pattern emerged and people weren't even trying to influence these things. That's the other weird thing to take into account here. People aren't trying to influence these RNGs, but when human feelings and consciousness become synchronized and focused, almost you can think of it as like a laser where everything is in sync, then that power of human consciousness actually makes randomness ordered. So the Global Consciousness Project analyzed about 400 other events that had large-scale impact on humanity, including events that evoked collective emotions of love and compassion, because, you know, Diana would have been sad and grieving and stuff, but they looked at things like love and compassion, such as global meditations for peace. Many of these events were also associated with significant effects on the global RNG network. Over and over again, the Global Consciousness Project demonstrated that large-scale group coherent consciousness has effects in the physical world. The results indicate that coherent consciousness creates order in the world. Now, this also has been updated to 
GCP 2.0. So like I mentioned, Roger Nelson did retire and he transferred the Global Consciousness Project to the HeartMath Institute. And it's now known as the Global Consciousness Project 2.0. So the GCP 2.0 team has created a new generation of state-of-the-art quantum noise generators for detecting the effects of global consciousness. The goal is to have a thousand citizen scientists located around the planet hosting these new devices. The GCP 2.0 team also collaborates with the Institute of Noetic Sciences and other researchers to provide new scientific evidence for the fundamental interconnectivity inherent in the universe. And speaking of ions, there's some new really neat research I just needed to put in here because it's so cool. And it kind of goes along with the Pear Lab's older research. So they're also looking at whether conscious intention could affect the physical world. And experimenters investigated whether plasma streams in a plasma ball would behave differently when human intention was focused towards, towards the plasma ball as compared to when intention was withdrawn or when participants were focused on something else. Plasma, if you don't know, is an electrically conducting medium that is called the fourth state of matter. It's in addition to solid, liquid, and gas. Electrical plasma is currently thought to make up about 99% of the physical, visible matter in the universe. There's all this new plasma physics research now, and I'm trying to get on top of it because I think it's really, we need to know what this is about. It will really uh, push our cultural understanding of the nature of reality forward with this new research. But they did this really cute kind of small research, but important research. They took your basic plasma ball that like you can get at any kind of toy science kind of store and participants were asked to direct their intention toward or away from this eight inch dia diameter plasma ball. If you touch the plasma ball, it will send more plasma and therefore more light to the point on the ball where you're touching, if you physically touch it. And so the light will increase in that spot if you touch it. So they thought, let's have human intention direct the light towards a point on the ball without physically touching it. Let's just intend to make that point on the ball glow brighter. And so that's what they did. They said, do it in 30 second increments. I want it brighter. I want it brighter. And then relax and don't intend anything. The results of the experiment found that human intention did, in fact, affect the plasma streams and the brightness of light. But the findings also suggested that sometimes intention was associated with a significant change in the opposite direction of what was intended. So it wasn't just still random, but it went opposite in a different direction, like it didn't go up here. It went to the, the lower left or something. In one example, the amount of overall light decreased during the intention phase, it was intended to increase, but it was a significant decrease during the intention phase. Um, and that is important. So it got less light, you know, less, not just in a different place, but less light in this particular example. 
and but significantly less light. Now, this is really interesting because one of the things I didn't mention about the pair lab experiments was that sometimes when participants were trying to make the line on the graph go up, they made it go down, but they made it go down significantly. It wasn't just random. So there's something we still don't understand about our intentions and its relation to consciousness and how it affects matter. There's still a lot of research to be done here. And then finally, I'm just going to talk about some pioneers in the healing power of guided imagery and the ability of our mind in this way to promote healing. So very quickly, what is guided imagery in case uh, people don't know? It's a technique that helps participants experience their own inner mental imagery by listening to evocative, something that pulls out your emotion, words, phrases, scripts, and sometimes music. And the most powerful and effective imagery does evoke emotion, especially when it's deep and sincere emotion. The term guided imagery usually refers to the same technique as guided meditation and guided visualization. And the term guided visualization was used more often some years ago when it was first becoming like uh, well known again in the 70s and 80s. But we've not use that term anymore, not because it's a really bad term, but it is misleading because all of the inner senses can be involved with imagery, not just the visual sense. In fact, we can use the visual sense, but we can also use inner sound. You can hear things, you can smell things, you can taste things, you can have the sense you're touching things. You can feel like you're moving as if you're sitting on a swing and you're feeling it move back and forth and back and forth and the wind going through your hair and you hear children laughing at a distance and you see the sun is coming down and making the green grass just glow brightly. So you can use all these senses, smell and taste a little less, but maybe you would smell some popcorn off in the distance and go over and taste it as it's crunching in the butters in your mouth or something like that. So you can use all these inner senses to evoke great and powerful imagery. And in Rituals of Healing Using Imagery for Health and Wellness, pioneers Jean Achterberg, Barbara Dossi, and Leslie Kolkemeyer reported on their findings from using guided imagery with their patients in healthcare settings. And they say about one quarter of all people rarely or never see things. So if you don't see anything when you close your eyes, that's okay. There's still a bunch of people like you that don't see things. Maybe you feel it. Maybe you and you're kinesthetic, you know, you might be clear kinesthetic, you, you feel it, okay, maybe you hear something, or you just have the sense of knowing all of these things are perfectly fine when you're using imagery. Can imaging ability be improved? Yes. In 1993, a great study by Merrick and Merrick found that although individuals vary in their ability to produce mental images and to feel comfortable with imagery, these are skills that can be improved through teaching and practice. Uses of guided imagery include you can relax, you can feel connected to an inner source of wisdom and comfort, you can explore possible ways to achieve your life goals, you can mentally rehearse steps necessary to improve performance in sports. As a matter of fact, a lot of really top-notch athletes use imagery to improve their performance, and you can promote your healing. 
One of the great books was put out in 1979, one of the first books on this by Shakti Gwain called Creative Visualization. Use the power of your imagination to create what you want in your life. And Shakti says, creative visualization is one of the most important tools we have for creating and maintaining good health. Conscious creative visualization is the process of creating positive thoughts and images to communicate with our bodies in place of negative, constrictive, literally sickening ones. And one of the people who really brought this into the healing world was Dr. O. Carl Simonton, who wrote Getting Well Again in 1978. Dr. Simonton was a radiation oncologist who popularized the mind-body connection in fighting cancer. He helped guided imagery gain acceptance in the mainstream medicine. Before that, it really wasn't. In 1984, Simonton founded the Simonton Cancer Center, which is a leader still in the mind-body approach for treating cancer patients. The center's integrated program was among the first of its kind in the world. The Simonton method focuses on the interaction between the mind and the body, how beliefs, attitudes, lifestyle, cho lifestyle choices, spiritual and psychological perspectives can dramatically affect our health the course of our disease and our overall well-being. In his obituary in the Los Angeles Times, it is said about him talkingly, talking openly about cancer was groundbreaking in the 1970s, as were such Simonton techniques as meditation and mental imagery. If it gave people more of a sense of control over their illness and allowed patients to think differently about their role in the healing process. And then related to him is Jean Achterberg, like I mentioned before, also a pioneer in mind-body medicine. She wrote a book, Imagery and Healing, Shamanism and Modern, Med Modern Medicine in 1985. In this book, Jean Achterberg linked modern scientific research with the practices of shamans, the earliest healers, to demonstrate that imagery is the world's oldest and most powerful healing research. Early in her career, Jean Achterberg collaborated with Dr. O. Carl Simonton, studying the quality of imagery in cancer patients. Jean elaborated on Dr. Simonton's work by helping, helping patients work with more symbolic images. For their pain and disease, she found that actually more symbolic images tend to be even better and more effective than if you image things strictly in a biological, uh, re real kind of way. If you use imagery in a symbolic way, it can be way more powerful. And she also encouraged patients to draw their images on paper after they finished their guided imagery imagery exercises. So this is an example, not from her book, but from another book, Advances in Art Therapy, where the person has drawn their tumor, and then they're drawing, and that's kind of more realistic, you know, a big blob, but then they draw their chemotherapy treatment, like these arrows that are zinging in at this tumor. And then they imagine their immune system as these men with shovels coming in and digging at this thing and taking away the bad parts. And then all the immune system down in the lower right, they're so happy they've successfully made this tumor into this small, tiny, and eventually invisible. You know, it's completely healed. So you can use these powerful techniques. And these folks were some of the early pioneers in helping us understand the power of the mind to heal our bodies. In 2004, Dr. Marty Rossman was uh, the director of the Academy for 
guided imagery, and he co-founded it with Dr. David Bressler. And he found that imagery has profound physiological consequences. The body tends to respond to imagery as it would to a genuine external experience. It's been found to have effect on almost all physiological systems of the body, respiration, heart rate, blood pressure, metabolic rates in cells, gastrointestinal mobility, secretion, sexual function, cortisol levels, blood lipids, even immune responsiveness. And I did a study back in uh, 2015 where I looked at four medicine and health databases and scholarly peer-reviewed journals. And again, guided imagery had profound effects with asthma, cancer, all these different things that I list here, even uh, preoperative pre anxiety and stress reduction, of course. And so I want to just list my references that I used in my presentation here for you. And I just want to send out my intention resonating with all of you and sending out my blessings that we, we may all come to know and experience the power of our own minds to heal both ourselves and our beautiful world. Thank you.